Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. Over 75 feature films premiered at the Sundance Film Festival this year. It was impossible to catch them all, but we did see a lot, and we're highlighting some of the standouts. They include a deeply personal coming-of-age story, a film starring Saoirse Ronan as a recovering alcoholic, and Steven Soderbergh's highly immersive ghost tale. I'm Aisha Harris, and today we're talking about some of the best things we saw at this year's Sundance Film Festival on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Homes.com. When you're home shopping as a parent, you have lots of questions about local schools. That's why each listing on Homes.com includes extensive reports on local schools, including photos, parent reviews, student-teacher ratio, school rankings, and more. The information is from multiple trusted sources and curated by a dedicated in-house research team. It's also you can make the right decision for your family. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. In any great story, there's a moment that sparks your curiosity. Tells you there is more to uncover. How how did this happen? How did we get here? That's where Embedded comes in. We are NPR's home for documentary journalism. Immersive and intimate stories. I was stone cold speechless. Nothing will ever, 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 ever be the same here. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I, I just started doing research. On, but the truth is, I, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Joining me today is Culture Desk correspondent Mandalit Del Barco. Welcome back, Mandalit. Thank you so much. It's great to have you. Also joining us is the host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, Brittany Luce. Welcome back to you too, Brittany. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yes, yes. So Brittany Mandalit and I all went out to Park City, Utah to cover the Sundance Film Festival, which celebrated its 40th anniversary this year. Wow, 40 years. That's kind of crazy. (laughs) Um, We figured we'd highlight some of the films worth keeping on your radar as they hopefully get wider release in the coming months. So let's get right into it. Mandalit, what is your first pick? My first pick is Didi. It's a semi-autobiographical film by writer-director Sean Wong, and he's had an incredibly insane week at Sundance. Just days after premiering Didi, he found out he was nominated for an Oscar for his short documentary, Nai Nai and Waipo, which stars his two grandmothers. (laughs) And Didi is his first feature-length film, and it's a story that includes one of those grandmothers, Nai Nai. This story follows a 13-year-old Taiwanese-American boy who lives in Fremont, California, just like Sean Wong, who shot the movie at his real-life child home. And in the movie, his character is known as Didi to his family. That's an affectionate Mandarin term that means little brother or youngest son. And 
you know, Aisha, he's like a lot of teens. He says cruel things to his mom and his sister. He's awkward with a girl from school who he likes. He does dumb things with his friends. And he pretends to be half white to impress the cool skater boys that he meets. And he offers to videotape them skateboarding. You know, the story is set in 2008. And on his desktop screen, which fills the movie screen, we see him writing things on MySpace and chats. You know, it's it's a lot of nostalgia for AOL messaging and Hotmail. Yes, I really felt this <laughs> deeply. I was a little older than he was in 2008, but I still vividly remember those AIM, uh, <laughs> AIM chats. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, there's some funny bits. We see him searching for things like how to kiss a girl and how to be a skate filmer. And, you know, these coming-of-age stories are are really nothing new, especially at Sundance. But Wong told me he's never before seen a movie about a 13-year-old Asian-American kid like him. That was the hope, was to hopefully add something unique to that canon of of coming-of-age movies, inspired by my own upbringing. But it's not one-to-one with my own upbringing. Ultimately, our story is you know, exploring themes of shame and love and friendship and belonging. Yeah, it, it touched me deeply. And like you said, we've seen many of these coming of age stories, especially at Sundance. But I don't know, there's just something very specific about this rendering, even the way that the teenage boys talk to each other, mm-hmm. uh, you know, using sort of homophobic language. It, it feels very of that era. Right. And I think that's what makes this rise above and also just the performances especially by Isaac Wong. Brittany, did you have a chance to check this out? I didn't have a chance to check it out. I really wanted to, but I I made friends in line and they had both just come from a morning DD screening and they were just absolutely head over heels in love with the film. That's one I'm really really excited to see hopefully when it gets some sort of distribution and, and I can see it in a theater. <laughs> yeah. Well, we will see. Hopefully it does get distribution and that is DD directed by Sean Wong. Now Brittany, tell me what your first pick is. Oh, my first pick is called The Outrun. It's directed by Nora Fingscheidt and written for the screen by Nora Fingscheidt and Amy Liptrot. It stars, of course, Saoirse Ronan as this character, Rona, who um, after basically her life has kind of fallen apart because of her drinking, she moves back home to like the Scottish countryside and these islands called the Orkney Islands where she grew up. And she is basically trying to heal from kind of the mess that her life has become. It's adapted by a memoir, actually, by Amy Liptrot. But the film is something that absolutely stands on its own. This was mm-hmm. one where, like, I had mentioned just now that I made some friends in line when I was waiting for this movie, The Outrun. Mm-hmm. And we end up sitting together during the screening. And I was trying to, like, not make them feel like they had to be emotionally responsible for me. <laughs> Because I had tears coming down my face. So I was like discreetly wiping my eyes. This is not an easy watch, I'll say. No. But it does have like this joyous emotional payoff and the way that you see Rona just deal with the everyday treachery and drudgery of maintaining sobriety. There are gorgeous performances from all of the supporting actors involved, but I specifically want to shout out Papa Esiadu, who is a phenomenal actor who a lot of people may remember from I May Destroy You on HBO. Also, he was in a really fantastic, like, longer episode of Black Mirror, um, where he played sort of like disco 
dancing demon. He's got range. He's got the range. He's, he's got range. Um, he plays her partner in this film. And even though he's, I think, in some ways underused, yeah. I mean, their relationship was so beautifully realized. And the movie was really beautiful. It was an incredible experience to have in the theater. There's like some beautiful sound design and some great visuals of just like the sea, nature. I feel like it sounds corny the way I'm describing it, but the payoff in the theater was just gorgeous. And I'm really excited. I feel like this one's definitely going to get distribution. And I would say that like, if and when it makes it into theaters near you later this year, just definitely make sure you see it. It's really beautiful. Yeah. that This is a, for me, a standout performance from Saoirse Ronan. It's heavy, though. Like you said, it is very heavy. And it was the, a movie where, like, I was supposed to see another movie afterwards. And then I was like, I can't do this. I need to go home and sleep. <laughs> it was like, it's too much. It's far too much. <laughs> that is The Outrun. Um, and I'm going to turn to my first pick now, which is A Ghost Tale from Steven Soderbergh. This movie is called Presence. And it's a collaboration with screenwriter David Kep. This movie is one of those, like, what the just happened here experiences. And one of those experiences that I've had for the first time in a very long time. So the less you know going into this, the better. But the basic crux of it is you have a family that moves into a house. And that family is made up of Lucy Liu, Chris Sullivan, and then the children are played by Kalina Liang and Eddie Mayday. And they move into this house, but the entire film from beginning to end is told from the point of view of a ghost that lives in the house. And so you are first person. The camera is following this family. It is privy to all of these deep conversations and emotional moments and not just in adolescent life, but in parental life. And the technical feats here are kind of ridiculous. You know, Steven Soderbergh basically is that extra character. He is telling the story from that point of view. And I'm sure that this is going to be studied in film classes for years to come. But for me, what really elevates this is that this is a story that is kind of told in sequences. Like just you have these moments that are just kind of little plays in a way and little scenes. Mm. And it's probably one of his more intimate and sort of very personal film. It's also very twisty and the twist I'm still chewing over, Mandalay, you saw this, right? Like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, you know, my friends and I, were, we had long discussion about who's the ghost. Yes. The, who's the ghost? Right. So the, 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 <laughs> we, did not to, we won't get into it, but, but like as you're watching it, you do kind of wonder like, who is this person? Who are mm -hmm. we supposed to be seeing through? So it was sold to Neon. And so it should be hopefully making its way. I hope to theaters at some point, because this this really does feel like the type of movie you want to watch completely in the dark in a theater. That is Presence, directed by Steven Soderbergh, hopefully coming to a theater near you. Now, Mandalee, I want to turn to your next pick, which was also one that I really, really loved. Tell us about it. Yeah, that's Exhibiting Forgiveness. And this film was written, directed and produced by the artist Titus Kafar. Um, he's a MacArthur Fellow, and he's known for his paintings and sculptures and installations. And his debut film is this really raw, powerful story about an artist who's 
forced to reconnect with his father, who was very abusive. He wrote the story based on his own real-life relationship. And, you know, this movie is about generational trauma and healing, and it has some really amazing performances by Andre Holland, who who you may remember from his very touching role in the movie Moonlight. Mm -hmm. And he also has portrayed civil rights leader Andrew Young in Selma. But in this movie, he plays the main character, an artist who has nightmares about his childhood. And, you know, for this role, Kafar taught him how to paint. And there are close-ups of his brush strokes. And mm-hmm. you could see and almost feel the texture of, on the canvas. And, and you can see the rage in his, in his face and his body and his performance. And it seems like a very realistic portrayal of an artist at work. In the movie, um, Terrell's wife is a singer, played by Andra Day. The movie also shows her process of creating art, and Mm. she composes and sings for her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law is played by Ingenue Ellis Taylor. Who is only a decade older than Andre Holland, but we'll let it go. (laughs) I was like, are are y'all siblings? Like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was great in the role, but I had to— Oh, she was phenomenal. They both were. I had to Google. I was like, like, um— I didn't realize they were okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. And um, his dad is played by John Earl Jelks. Mm-hmm, He's yeah. first seen as an addict living on the streets, and and there are flashbacks of his cruelty, you know. And we watch him change and trying to change into a better man. You know, Kafar noted that Jelks was a theater actor who, back in the day, August Wilson used to use him in many of his yeah. works. Jelks really blew me away. Like I was so yes. so immersed in that performance. I think this is a movie that for the first like 20 minutes or so, I was like, this feels like a, a lot of, you know, indie melodramas. And then at one point, it just kind of opens up and unfolds mm-hmm. and is really wrestling with some fascinating uh, issues when it comes to forgiveness and generational trauma in a way that like I, I kept wondering, is it is it going to you know, fold? Is it going to fold? Because so often I see movies that are also not afraid to sort of mention religion and, and how that factors into it. But yeah. they always they always end in a way that I'm just like, mm, I don't know about this. Uh, what do you mean you say to, like, what do you mean when you say that? Because I mean, I can, I feel sometimes dissatisfied the way that some of those films end, but I want to know what you mean when you say that. Well, that's what I mean. And I don't want to give too much, I don't want to give too much away, <laughs> yeah. but I think that the answers here are not easy in the mm-hmm. way that often I see them, especially when it comes to black dramas that are dealing with forgiveness. I'm looking at you, you know, the Tyler Perry's of the world. It's like, I don't I don't think the it's not so black and white the way it ends. And I appreciated that. And I also just definitely got those August Wilson vibes for sure. It reminded yes. me of something like Fences, right? Yes, yes, or right. like the piano lesson or something yes. like that. Yeah. 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 It was very like um, a play, but Better than a play, almost. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's still very cinematic. In yes, it's still very cinematic, especially in that like it made use of so many different types of visuals, but like mm-hmm. it made use of the fact that it was being shot as a film. Some really interesting uses of like what at first feel like visual pastiche to sort of show the main characters like childhood memories that then become clearer and clearer over the course of the film to even just the way that like some of the interiors are lit. I don't know. There's like a real painterly aspect to the way that some of the visuals and the colors were used in the film that I was like, oh, it's it was interesting to see a painter working in this new medium in this way. Absolutely. Well, that is exhibiting forgiveness. And uh, as of right now, when we're recording this, we don't know if it's going to have distribution anytime soon, but hopefully people will be able to check it out at some point. Now, Brittany, your next pick 
is a familiar subject matter to perhaps <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> yes, my second pick is a uh, is the documentary Luther Never Too Much directed by Don Porter. Uh, yes. Um <laughs> now I will say for big Luther heads like myself, okay. Mm-hmm. There's not necessarily new information in the documentary. When I say big Luther heads, I mean like you know, may have read a biography or two, like uh, over 300 pages about his life story. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that I really, really know about Luther Vandross. So I didn't necessarily learn anything new, I'll say, from watching this documentary. But so often there were so many nice snippets of rarer interviews with Luther that sometimes it felt like he was telling his own story Mm -hmm. along with these incredible interjections from people like Jamie Foxx, who is one of the producers of the project, along with Colin Firth, which like, good for you, Colin Firth, but also (laughs) did Luther rock you that much? Like I was just surprised always to see him as an EP on this project. I think Luther rocked everybody. I mean, (laughs) fair enough, fair enough. But I mean, that's the other thing I'll say is that like you're seeing sometimes, whether it's the people who are closest to him, like a former assistant or like business associates, along with some of the biggest names of the music industry, like Mariah Carey, David Bowie, Jamie Foxx, all of these people who still have this deep reverence for his talent. And in some ways, I won't necessarily say to the movie's detriment, still feel very protective of his personal life. The one piece I think that really stuck out for me that I'm excited to see and hear audience reaction to is how difficult it was for Black artists to cross over in the 80s specifically. Like this sort of like push-pull between like being thought of as sort of like too bougie for traditional R&B, but too Black for pop audiences and how the music industry kind of stymied the efforts of Luther and artists like him um, for being able to reach, you know, wider audiences and maybe perhaps their fullest potential as like superstars. I think the other thing that it really gets at that is very much in still permeates the music industry currently is how we talk about celebrities and artists' bodies and their weight. um, And also how we talk about their sexuality. In so many ways, the film is very sensitive to how much things have changed, but also the ways in which things still haven't. Yeah. I think for me, I was so moved by it, but I think your point about it feeling like the conversations aren't quite as deep as we wanted to. This kind of felt like the Little Richard documentary from last year that Mm -hmm. also premiered at Sundance, Um, except Mm -hmm. in that documentary, you had a lot of not just talking heads who might have worked with him or were close to him, but you also had, you know, actual critics and academics who could kind of provide a context. And Mm -hmm. here with Luther, the only sort of talking head that I remember who was not sort of directly related to him in any way was the great music journalist, Danielle Smith. Danielle Smith, yeah. And she's not used enough. And I feel like in the mode of this being a movie that's protective, even Mm -hmm. if we don't get the lurid details, not that I really want them, of his personal life, it would have been helpful to have like someone who has actually studied these things to add more context to the queer aspect of his life and the the weight issues that he struggled with. That's a really good point. So that was was something that I thought was missing. But nevertheless, by the end of this movie, I was a a mess. (laughs) I was a ball. I know. And I was a mess. And I was like, let me pull up the Luther playlist. (laughs) Yeah, I was a ball of tears by the end of this. So that is Luther, Never Too Much. And uh, hopefully we can look out for it at a later date. I think fans are going to be very uh, satisfied. Mm -hmm. So my final pick is also a musical pick in a way and it's also a documentary it is soundtrack to a coup d'etat which is directed by johan grimampre this movie is 
It's really, really hard to describe, but it is a sort of multimedia quilt that is discussing and examining the assassination of Congolese Prime Minister uh, Patrice Lumumba. Now, Mm. you know, if you haven't taken a history class recently or it's not fresh in your mind, this movie is going to explain everything to you in two and a half hours. There's a lot of a lot of things that are being thrown at you and, and a lot of information. But I think what makes this movie so great is the fact that it doles that information out in the most inventive and creative and artistic ways. Grim on Prey is basically taking jazz music of that era because if you might recall, there was a period where in the late 50s and into the 60s where the United States was sending off jazz greats like Louis Armstrong and uh, Nina Simone as like ambassadors, jazz ambassadors to the world. Mm. But they didn't realize this themselves, but they were basically being used as props to distract from all the collusion and political machinations that were leading to the overthrow, (laughs) like basically a coup of the Congo for all of these nefarious, of course, capitalistic reasons. And he uses jazz, like clips of these performers in such it, again, it's really hard to describe, but like like jazz, it's just kind of it feels improvisational. It feels free flowing, and yet it's all very very specific. And I mean, I think one way it's been described is is as like a video essay, and I think that's pretty accurate because oftentimes we're seeing quotes in interviews that are presented like footnotes on the screen. Text is coming up, hmm. and at the bottom it has like the wow. book and the page number, which it comes from. And it, it might seem didactic, but it's so useful. And it's also like showing the work, but doing it in a way that is really just keeps you engaged and keeps you on your toes. I, I was familiar with Patrice Lumumba and how the United Nations basically made his assassination happen. Mm-hmm. Like the United States and, and Belgium were fully in cahoots here. And some of the quotes coming from mercenaries and political bigwigs are will just like leave you appalled. But then you have this music that is also there kind of propelling the entire the entire narrative. And it's just I, I really loved it. I think it's just wow. really, really smart and hmm. taught me a lot and also just felt like a real cinematic sort of experiment in the best way possible. Did either of you get a chance to check this out? No, I wanted to. I wanted to see this No, one. but you sold me. This sounds great. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, this is the way you yeah. described it is like, I was just interested in the story as it was, but the form thing yeah. that you've described, I'm like, make me even mm-hmm. more excited. Yeah. It's pretty fascinating. And I just, uh, I hope as many people as possible see it. There's so many sort of cliches when it comes to documentary and, and ways to do it. And I think that this movie finds a way to bring a new sort of energy to just downloading a lot of information. <laughs> There's a moment where uh, with Nina Simone singing and you've got that propelling piano. And it's just like, oh, man, like this is this is cinema mm. in the words. <laughs> <laughs> That's soundtrack to a coup d'etat. It's a documentary and very hopeful that people will be able to see it because it is it is something else. Well, we want to know what you think about this year's highlights from the Sundance Film Festival. Find us at Facebook.com slash BCHH. And that brings us to the end of our show. Manda Leach, Brittany, thanks so much for being here. I loved all of your picks. And this was fun. Yeah, this Thank great. you. This was so much fun. It was cool. This was my first ever Sundance. So I'm like, oh, uh, so glad that I got to come on here and talk about it with y'all. <laughs> 
Well, we also want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support of NPR. And if you haven't signed up yet, want to show your support and listen to the show without any sponsor breaks, that's a great deal. Head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. This episode was produced by Liz Metzger and edited by Jessica Reedy and Mike Katzif. And Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Aisha Harris, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. On NPR's Throughline. We cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL. Because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Do you wish stories could unfold over three hours rather than three minutes? You tired of doom scrolling? Trying to find humanity? Or maybe a deeper understanding of why the world is the way it is? Listen to Embedded, NPR's original documentary series. Find us wherever you get your podcasts.